0: Welcome to the New Books Network. This podcast episode was made possible in part with support from Sacred Rights, a project funded by the Henry Luce Foundation and the E. Rhodes and Leona B. Carpenter Foundation and hosted by Northeastern University. Sacred Rights is a project that supports public scholarship on religion and provides resources and networks for scholars of religion committed to translating the significance of their research to a broader audience. I recommend you learn more about Sacred Rights on their website at sacred-rights.org or find Sacred Rights on Twitter at sacred_rights. Welcome to Classical Ideas. This is Greg Soden, and this is a podcast where, since 2017, I discuss all things religion with a variety of fantastic scholars, experts, authors, and educators. On this episode, my guest is Dr. Oluwata Oradane, who is currently an Assistant Professor in Black Religious Traditions and Constructive Theology and Ethics, and is the Director of Black Church Studies at Bright Divinity School in Fort Worth, Texas. Anchored in her American-African identity, her scholastic and creative work engages theopoetics, womanist theology and ethics, post-colonial and decolonial thought, and black theology from an African diasporic perspective. We discuss her book, The Theology of Mercy Amba Odiyoye, Ecumenism, Feminism, and Communal Practice from University of Notre Dame Press and we also discuss her views on why public scholarship matters. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Oluwatomisin Oridane. Dr. Oluwatomisin Oridane, welcome to Classical Ideas.
1: Thanks so much, it's great to be here.
0: I am so excited to have you on the podcast and to be off and running with a new series that I'm doing in collaboration with Sacred Rites here for the fall of 2023. I'm wondering if you can just spend a moment and introduce yourself a little bit to the audience, however you see fit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, my name is Oluwa Sine Oredain, or Tomi for short. I teach at Bright Divinity School in Fort Worth, Texas, in the areas of Black religious traditions, as well as constructive theology and ethics. Frankly, I kind of teach where my mind and imagination take me. So I'm interested in um, liminal identity. I identify as Nigerian-American. So that space um, of the in-between spaces of Blackness, if you will, is is a space that's really interesting um, to me. I also teach in the area And explore the area of theopoetics in my work. I think about and think with womanist theology and ethics, black theology, postcolonial, decolonial ideas and theories, Black feminism as well. Um, I want to think with people who are thinking truthfully and honestly about the present, but also thinking about what might a future life of wellness and wholeness look like as well. So again, I try to tackle that in the areas of Christian theology and ethics. Like I said, I'm Nigerian-American, so that colors everything I do and everything that I see. And I am so grateful that that's the lens in which I'm exploring the scholastic as well as creative um, worlds in which I live.
0: I'm always super curious about how guests got where they got, how they wound up where they wind up in their careers, and how that relates to the scholarship That is being produced as well. And I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about your backstory and academic path to get you to this current moment in your career. What were some of your major stepping stones along the way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll I'll tell you this, Greg. I had no interest whatsoever in, teaching, <laughs> uh, in becoming a professor. That was nowhere on my radar. Um, as I said, um, I'm Nigerian-American. I was born in Nigeria, but raised in the States um, since I was basically a toddler. And you'll hear a lot of immigrants say, immigrant descendants say, you know, you have three choices, doctor, lawyer or engineer. Sometimes we'll let you be a pharmacist. Those are your options <laughs> in terms of a career path. Uh, so I was on the path to being a doctor. I was pre-med in college and college said, no, you're not. (laughs) I had to think through, um, okay, what's of interest to me that I'm also good at? My faith has been a big part of of my life um, since I was young, because faith is where I got to ask questions and think through the ethereal. I I wedded my interests and commitment to my faith with you know what, I think I can do well in this cl- in these classes because they actually mean something to me. Um, so I went the religious studies route. After that, didn't know what I was doing, um, literally overheard some classmates talking before one of my seminars um, about this thing called seminary and divinity school and said, oh, yeah, I'll do that. I apply super late uh, yeah. in the application cycle get waitlisted because again, college said, no, you're not pre-med, even though I tried to be. So my GPA uh, was a little, it's a little interesting hurdle there. Eventually got off the wait list and attended Duke Divinity School. And my mind was blown that this was where I could ask my questions freely. There was also, I was just there at a golden time um, where the likes of Willie Jennings, Esther um, Ebony Marshall-Turman, uh, Jay Cameron Carter, William Turner, Tammy Williams, um, they were all there at the same time, or at different parts, I'm sorry, of my my journey. Um, so I got the best, um, mm. I got to take classes with the best. And of course it just furthered my interest and hunger to keep asking theological and ethical questions. At the end of my MDiv program at Duke, I um, was sitting in a class um, during a gap year um, working three jobs, trying to figure out what am I doing next? And I overheard colleagues talking about applying to PhD programs. So I said, oh, yeah, I'll do that. So um, I applied to PhD programs and one THD program. Mm-hmm. And the THD program was at Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, did not get into any PhD programs. So everyone, that's you know more common than you think. It's not you. It is a system. And got waitlisted again <laughs> for mm-hmm. Duke in the PhD program. I prayed a lot and I, I felt reassured that that was where I was supposed to be. Sure enough, got off the wait list, went through the THD program, loved it. Doctoral programs are difficult, but it's the place where you get to ask the questions that matter to you. So all in all, um, it was where I needed to be. I did a postdoc after that, which is which is what I wanted so I can learn more about am I a teacher or not at Memphis Theological Seminary. And after that was able um, to make my way over to Bright Divinity School, so that's my journey. I uh, honestly, it was just a it was a journey of questions. Where could I keep asking questions? Um, where could I have conversation partners um, who could help me press forward and think constructive and, constructively and creatively around these things that I was wondering. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got into it. My again, I'm, I'm tenure track, but tenure honestly is not the most important thing to me. I just want to keep asking questions and working in this role. Um, allows me to do so. And it allows me to interact with brilliant, hungry students um, who are also coming with questions as well.
0: A question that I've never asked before on this show that I can recall is, Do you is there a major difference between a THD and a PhD program? Because I actually have no idea what the difference between like those two types of programs and what the process is like and how they are similar and different. I actually just don't know.
1: No, that's a great question. And it's not an uncommon question. Um, the, the joke is, if you ask a PhD student, they're going to say, oh, yeah, the stipend. That's the biggest difference. <laughs> I mean, well, it, it is literally a difference. But um, I was in classes with PhD students. Um, mm-hmm. We were studying similar things. Um, there's slightly um, differences in terms of um, just kind of the programmatic outline and path. Um, but overall, you're taking language classes together, you're taking doctoral classes together, you're studying, you're writing together, you're collaborating together. Um, it just, it, it honestly depends on the program. I know at Duke, the PhD program is affiliated with the Department of Religious Studies, whereas the ThD program was affiliated with Duke Divinity School. The paths are very similar, to be honest. I think PhD program, you might have one more exam than the PhD program, for example. But the paths are similar. We shared a lot of spaces together. We shared a lot of classes together. It's in many ways a departmental affiliation difference. PhDs, um, they're going to be a bit more broader. They're going to be interested in the bigger questions around religious studies, whereas a PhD, um, there's going to be this particular focus with Christianity, Christian theology, etc.
0: Let's talk about some of your work. As of May 2023, you have a brand new book, The Theology of Mercy Amba Odiyoye, Ecumenism, Feminism, and Communal Practice from the University of Notre Dame Press. How did you come to be interested in the life of Mercy Amba Odiyoye, and who is she?
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that question. I was introduced to um, the work of Mercy Amba Odiyoye through a mentor at Duke, Esther Galace. Um, She's actually at Garrett now. I was I was trying to ask her, you know, I want to do my own thing <laughs> around theology and ethics, but I know that I need to know who came before me. She said, "Oh, start with Mercy Urioye. I said, "Okay, let me let me read her stuff." I read her work and um, was just blown away by um, the depth um, with which she writes and thinks, as well as just the volume of content she's put out in the world. Um, I was surprised by the volume of content because I hadn't heard of her. So mm. for somebody to have been writing 50 plus, 60 plus years, and to for me to have not been exposed to her in my you know Christian theology courses was mind-blowing to me. Mm. Mercy Amba-Urioye is a Ghanaian African women's theologian who has coined a lot of of things, including the term African women's theology. Um, She doesn't necessarily count herself or call herself womanist, even though she has connection and affiliation with womanists. She doesn't call herself black feminist, even though she's always gonna be thinking um, with these voices as well. Um, She essentially wanted to do um, Christian theology from the space of being an African woman. And was seeing that African male theologians were not in conversation with their women. Uh, She was seeing that white feminist theologians, they were in conversation with African women, um, but only to a certain extent. And of course, white male theologians didn't even know they existed. Uh, and, And Black male theologians, again, they they'd crossed paths. She just wanted African women to be critical conversation partners when it comes to all things Christian theology. Um, Because even though they're speaking from the space of the African continent, they have things to say about and offer about how we think about God, how Mm. we think about the church, um, how we think about ecclesial life and theological insight and ideas. So um, Urioye was the first to to create um, spaces where women can meet and gather, African women can meet and gather um, and start to manifest these things in the world.
0: And she's still currently alive. I'm showing that she's eighty-nine years old. So she's still is she still doing the work and active in the community?
1: Yeah, she I mean, she again, she turns ninety next month. Um she's she's more so um, gonna be based in Ghana and doing less traveling, even though it was maybe up to four years ago, she was still traveling to the US and all over. Um but she, she's a, she has some um, established work for girls and women that she does in Ghana that I think she is not the director of, but still peripherally um, in a leadership role around. So she's always going to be doing something to better her people and her community. But yeah, at the moment, I think she's just kind of in this point in life where she's going to do so from where she is because she's led a life. She's been doing this work since her you know early 30s. So she's led a full life where she's kind of given herself um, to ensure that African women are heard.
0: Tell us a little bit about the uh, the layout of the book and kind of like how you how you've uh, strung it together here.
1: The book is again, it's just a reflection of okay, how would I want to to hear and learn about and from um, Odiyoye? I start with her life. I think one thing that we do with any Christian theological figure is. We dive into their work, and their work may mention the context from which, you know, an important idea or thought emerges, but we know nothing about their childhood. We know nothing about literally what shaped and formed them, what literally brought them on this path. So I thought it was important to literally start at the beginning with Oriyoye and talk about her birth story, how she grew up, her relationship with the education system as a girl, what political things were happening that shaped her education, that shaped her interests. All these things are feeding into um, what's ultimately gonna become her theological focus. So I start with her life. I talk about her feminist formation, because again, she's among the women in her life and they are teaching her lessons that she takes with her. I also talk through um, her kind of creative energy around seeing that there's a dearth of space where women can come together and do theological imagining together. So she creates this thing called the Circle of Concerned African Women Theologians. I then kind of think through and think with her around four major doctrinal locations, her doctrine of God, Christology, theological anthropology, and ecclesiology. And then towards the end of the book, I say these are the remaining questions um, that I at least bring to the conversation, what we in the West need to know about our respective lenses as we try to engage the work of a woman like Mercy Amba Urioye.
0: Wonderful. You know, something that was really interesting to me about this book is the discussion of hybrid religion in Ghana. And I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about her journey, finding her way through local cultural practices, but also also within a Methodist context. I'm just really curious about the hybrid uh, concepts that you go through in the book.
1: Yeah. Um, the thing about Odioye's story is that um, it's a story that is tainted by colonialism. Mm. so a lot of what we are kind of reading is her thinking with wrestling pushing back against colonial ideas that make its way and wrestle with her people's respective cultural ideas so Odiyoye is part of the akan people and they are a matrilineal society so women are deeply important to to understanding the essence of who they are they literally carry their people forward um, but they're also just critical, critical um, members of their community and society. So that's wrestling against this colonial Christian message that um, asserts this patriarchal dominant picture of, well, of God and of Christ that, you know, a lot of Akan men are kind of latching onto. So this is creating tension literally within her culture around who they are. If one adopts this Christian identity, how can it live in concert with the precepts that the Akan people live by? For many in, in many ways, we kind of see in the in the book in Oryoye's life, she's actively wrestling with, okay, this is who we say we are, but this is what's happening. And mm. what do I do with that? So we again we see her actively kind of wrestling, asking questions. Why is it happening this way? She she does this move where she marries a Yoruba person. Now the Yoruba, which is um, what I am, we are a patriarchal um, and patrilineal tribe. So she kind of, kind of puts blame on. Okay, I married into this community, and and this is where I kind mm-hmm. of felt the biggest, like the strongest push against who I am. But we also, we, again, I, I try to outline in her story. We see moments and traces where she's saying, in even within her own upbringing, oh, the men in my culture are moving against who we say we are. What does God have to say about that? What do I have to say about that as an African woman um, who believes in this God, who is concerned about all of God's creation, who believes in Jesus, who I believe is aligned with the marginalized and the suffering. She's actively wrestling with that, um, again, in her respective life story, but also you can see the inner workings of it in her doctrinal conclusions as well.
0: Would you say that, like her pointing out these contradictions that she's working within about the uh, divisions of uh, power, but also the um, being a, in the matrilineal stuff that you were talking about? Would you say that these are some of her, you know, ways that she pushes like ecumenical boundaries in society in her own work?
1: No, absolutely, absolutely. She's she's literally seeing the state of women. Um, whether it's in her culture, whether it's Christian or not, um, whether it's in these churches that her parents and that she is a part of and connected to she's seeing women are not included um, in ways that are reflective of women's importance within the Christian church so she she joins these ecumenical spaces some spaces she's invited into because of just the force of her voice. She gets into these spaces and she says, I need to do something to ensure that women, one, have space to um, kind of offer their respective um, theological ideas, but also literally just space for us to be a part of the movement um, of these ecumenical groups, of the growth, the movement, the evolution of these ecumenical group. Yeah, so she's in many ways, she's she's a first in many spaces. And, she, and when she gets into these spaces, she says... You know, you probably invited me because I'm African, but I'm an African woman. And those two things are joined tightly together. So what's going to make more space within these respective spaces for more people like me?
0: What has been, you mentioned earlier, the circle of concerned African women theologians. What's the impact of that group been?
1: Oh, it's a huge impact. Oriyoye in many ways, is considered the founder. Back in 1980, Um, Or even in the 70s, she started brainstorming, there needs to be a space for African women created by African women, where we can come together, share our work with each other, share our ideas, and literally offer each other support. Back then, it was very difficult for, I mean, publishing in general, let alone for African women publishing, let alone for African women theologians (laughs) trying Mm. to. Publishing. So, again, she sees the problem and she says, What do I need to do uh, to address it so it's not a problem any longer? So, she and others, um, they start talking, they start creating a space of gathering. And in 1980, I think they have their first meeting, but they don't officially become known as the circle until 1989. But they gather every few years. All African women are invited, not just the Black African women. But anyone who considers themselves an African woman from the continent, they're invited, they gather together, they literally share their work. And then the practice is they publish together. So they they literally create um, books of essays around theological ideas and topics that these women are thinking about. The only requirement is that you have to have some work that you want to share with the world, because, again, these women are going to come together, support each other. And ensure that this work gets out into the to the world through publishing means.
0: In the book, something that jumped out at me as well is, uh, you know, whenever people read books, like certain things just kind of jump out. One thing that jumped out at me is uh, you mentioned her reasons for saying why African women are drawn to Jesus. And I'd love if you could say a little bit more about that connection uh, and kind of like what you think she's getting at and um, like maybe explain why she why she says that
1: absolutely um i mean in many ways it's it's a similar argument that other minoritized groups make when it comes to jesus they are fully attentive to the conditions in which jesus lived on the earth they are seeing his marginal background they are seeing the details of his life that a lot of people like to skip over so they can just get to the things that he's done and things that he's known for african women are interested in okay where did Jesus come from? Because where Jesus comes from and what Jesus has dealt with are things that African women have dealt with as well. Coming from a marginalized people, African women know well. Not being taken seriously because they don't occupy a certain status in society, African women know well. Um, Unfortunately, his having a constant companion in suffering, African women know well. So they see this man who has gone through things that, you know, they can also see, oh, I've gone through that as well. Um, And they see him be the means by which God wants to remain connected to God's creation. I mean, that's a powerful witness. I'm not going to draw a parallel, per se, and say that African women think they are Jesus, but African women see that they They hold theological witness in their life and in their stories, in their bodies. And in a similar way to Jesus, they can draw connection back to God's self. If the world would only uh, hear them, the the world would only listen to them, the world would only take them seriously. African women are not only known for the things they suffer. I mean, they suffer, but they're not only going to be known for that. They're going to be known for that which they um, expose the world to in spite of their suffering.
0: What was fun and interesting about the process of putting together this book? Like what was, what What are some memories that stand out personally for you during the creative process of going through uh, the creation of this book?
1: Mm, That's a great question. Uh, Greg, the fun part was finishing it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> No, the fun part was um, slowing down. Reading my work, revisiting the ideas that are odioyes, revisiting me riffing off of odioye and seeing like, ah, this is how, how the conversation is moving forward. It was, it, was, it was fun to see in real time that I'm not just rehearsing her life, But in this book, I'm having a conversation with her life and with everything that she's gone through um, and everything that she's tried to put in front of us. Um, I'm keeping the conversation going. So I don't know. It was fun slowing down and seeing that there's a legacy that she's built. And I'm honored to be a conversation partner, ensuring that her legacy continues and her legacy um, grows and becomes greater. When we try to think about Christian theology in any facet, not just African theology, not just African women's theology, Christian theology as a whole.
0: Mm. Well, this book um, is wonderful. The Theology of Mercy Amba Odiyoye, Ecumenism, Feminism, and Communal Practice, out now from the University of Notre Dame Press, just to remind listeners out there who are enjoying this conversation. Tell me, I'm wondering if we can chat for a little bit about uh, the sacred rights program that you're in, currently involved in.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Excellent. Well, you're a part of the Sacred Rights Program funded by the Luce Foundation for a project called Public Scholarship on Race, Justice, and Religion. And I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about your thoughts on why it's important for scholars like you to get your work into the public sphere and into the public conversation.
1: Sometimes we scholars can be a bit insular, and we can only talk to people who have gone through the same processes that we have in terms of just scholastic advancement. We have things to say, we have things to share. Um, We have things that can push um, people's imagination forward Um, if we are courageous enough and brave enough um, to step outside of our institutions and talk to whoever is interested in listening. We have things to say, especially around what's happening in the current moment and I always think of myself as I don't study the Christian tradition only. I'm also part of the Christian tradition. So me putting my thoughts out in the world, that is me honoring the fact that Christianity still has things to say, and that's me honoring that. I don't know to get a little bit uh, to, to get a little uh, Christian here. Uh, mm-hmm. That's me honoring. Um, what I believe the divine uh, has uh, equipped and instructed me to do.
0: How are you enjoying the uh, the trainings that are going on within Sacred Rights um, to you know kind of boost your uh, your skills in public scholarship and engagement? How do you feel yourself growing uh, in in the last you know couple of months?
1: Absolutely, the trainings um, frankly showed me a lot of things that I just didn't know. Mm. Uh, put in front of me things that I need to be considering things that I need to be thinking about ways that I need to prepare myself should I be invited into more public conversation and and when I'm invited into more public conversation um it's taught me to to be polished in how I want to talk about what interests me so that I am able to again capture people's interest but also just keep their attention the trainings. Yeah, they've they to, to, for lack of a better word, um, they have trained me to be attentive to how to be the best type of scholar, um, that I can, the most accessible type of scholar that I can be, um, so that the people who are learning from me are not just the students um, who are within my institution, but honestly anybody who has interest in questions around things that I might be able to offer insight towards.
0: Wonderful, you know. And getting involved in the you know broader public, talking about challenging things related to religion, uh, Dr. Buchar always talks about how this comes with uh, risks and rewards and responsibilities for the scholar. And I'm wondering what those three terms kind of mean to you within your own work and goals as far as risks and rewards and responsibilities for your work.
1: Putting anything out in the world. <laughs> Uh, is scary. So there's always the risk of um, tension and rejection and dislike and criticism. But again, the rewards are going to outweigh the risk. If people are interested in having deeper conversations around these things, we are going to proliferate these ideas being out in the world. That's a huge, huge, huge reward that the conversations around these These ideas, these people, um, they keep growing and they keep getting bigger, but also just the fact that you might not hear of many Nigerian-American theologians. So the Mm. fact that I can be a literal demonstration of I'm an African woman (laughs) putting my voice out in the world around these ideas, again, just increases visibility around voices that people may not have known um, have something to say around these ideas. And in terms of responsibilities, um, I'm responsible to myself, being true to myself, um, and I'm responsible to my community, the people who I represent. Um, so I'm always going to 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 bring that lens in anything that I offer in the public sphere.
0: You brought up institutions, and I know that you want to be involved in the greater public, and you know, write for uh, audiences in you know the world beyond just theology and uh, religious studies but I know that you're also writing about institutions as well, because I read a different chapter that you sent me. Um, about uh, called a uh, bondage labor in the ethics of care eucharistic misogynoir in words and institutions and it kind of talks a little bit about your life in the institution as well and i'm wondering if you can just like say like what you're doing also within institutions and what you're thinking about to push uh the conversation not only in the greater public like you're doing with sacred rights but also within your own profession and field in institutions
1: no absolutely and i appreciate you Reading that piece. I mean, the, the title is a mouthful. Um, the, the long and short of it is uh institutions, especially institutions of theological education, they have a particular goal in mind to prepare people for whatever their future holds, whether it's in ministry, nonprofit work, chaplaincy, um, wherever they're kind of feeling moved towards that they feel a theological education can help enhance. The problem though, with institutions is they were not created with minoritized and marginalized people in mind. So when these people um, come into these institutions are and are important and critical pieces of the institutions. people don't know how to interact with and treat them and learn from them. Black women especially, I, I always say this, if you want to know a me- the measure of health of an institution, any institution, ask a Black woman what she offers is going to be a reflection of the institution's greatest limitation, place of improvement, and at least within the theological institution. Theological institutions are weird because they want an institution like a regular institution, but then they have this—they have this, you know, Christian religious affiliation and characteristic around it. So these ideas are also embedded in the the more corporate parts of its functioning. So it, there's this strange blend of black women giving all you can, giving as much of yourself as you can, um, is a reflection of your faithfulness to God's work in the world, which is a strange um, type of posture to have. So when I when I name what's happening within institutions as Eucharistic misogynoir, um, I literally um, think through black women in the Eucharistic um, movements. Black women being taken, they're blessed, they're broken and they're distributed as a means of upholding the institution but using Christian language and sacramental ideas to do so. Again, I I talk about this this strange engagement between theological institutions and Black women. Um, They were not made for Black women, they enjoy using Black women Um, but they're not a space of wellness and wholeness for black women. So I am okay with being a voice of truth wherever I am. And within theological institutions, pieces like this um, allow me to flesh out what needs to be interrogated and examined and um, improved upon.
0: Wonderful. What are some of your uh, goals in your own work for, you know, the next maybe three to five years? What are you uh, excited about?
1: I'm excited about, you know, Greg, I'm excited about writing what I want to write about. <laughs>
0: mm. Yes.
1: Um, so what has my heart right now is thinking about care, especially the ethics of care. Um, I want to think about it theologically and I want to think about it ethically. I want to examine. Um, I believe that we all care about something. The expression of our care um, is is what I want to think a little bit more closely around. Um, is it care that reflects the care Seen in God's creative activity, God's creative activity, especially if we look at Genesis scriptures, is very careful, very concerned, very interested in the wellness of another. And I want to think through in different essays in the book. Um, yeah, uh, is the Christian church's um, enactment of care reflective of the care that that God established? God's creation with, so that's a project that's that's most immediate for me. It's called making a human, a theological ethic of care. Um, but also, Greg, I like I, I was mentioning earlier with Odioye, I am so interested in writing an American African theology. Mm. One, not necessarily African theology, not necessarily a Black theology, but or not necessarily a womanist theology, but one that is familiar with all three, um, does not fit into all three. Uh, and wants to be in conversation um, from its own space with all three. Um, so that's a, a future book. I, I want to establish what an American African theology would look like. again, attentive to the gaps um, from these other theological um, perspectives. And again, I want to see what conversations we can have moving forward. That's my that's my whole goal. Um, let's have conversations that are helping us grow and evolve, and expand. Um, I am not interested in being static. I want us to continue within Christian theology and ethics and religious studies in general. I want us to be dynamic.
0: Well, you are helping me achieve those goals personally by uh, telling me about some topics and people and ideas that I had never talked about on, uh, on the six and a half years of doing this podcast. So you're adding to a a, a, a total blind spot for my own learning and uh, and this show in general. Uh, so you're accomplishing that goal with me right here and right now. So I just wanted to say that.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic.
0: Well, Dr. Oluwatomisin Oradane, thank you so much for being here and hanging out with me and chatting about your book, The Theology of Mercy, Amba Odiyoye. It's been just a real, real good time hanging out with you today and chatting about your work.
1: Same, same, it's been a joy.